0: Now, there surely is a lot of blame game going on, which is not, uh, you know, very unusual after an election like this. And, you know, you you hear these waves, red waves, blue waves, and every election cycle. And, you know, I, I, as you know, I tend not to play those red and blue wave games um, because they tend to get you in trouble. And what I was suggesting all along is we need an American wave, which is really about people waking up. And really coming to the truth of what's taking place in our country. Now, listen, there were a, a lot of reasons why somebody would vote in this election. There were a lot of reasons why they would not vote for someone on the Marxist left. Uh, just, I mean, look at their pocketbook issues, policies, uh, what's taking place. Uh, it, it, you know, that's uh, it's not a stretch, is it now? Uh, but the concern was that people were really tied to the Republican party in this red wave. And of course it didn't happen. Uh, it didn't happen at all. And now people are pointing fingers and blaming. So I came across a, I don't know if you watch, uh, Mark, uh, Levin. I do not, I don't watch any of these cats. I don't watch any of them, but, uh, but Mark's pretty decent. Uh, I just don't follow him or see his stuff, but, uh, But a lot of the stuff he does lately is pretty decent. And uh, I just happened uh, to see a uh, clip of his in a show he was just doing on the weekend, just by happenstance, just happened to see it when, you know, you're turning through some particular channels and I seen something he said and it caught my attention. And I thought, wow, that's kind of fascinating. All right. All right. Wonder where he's going with that. And I thought, well, I can't watch him now. I don't. I'm not in a position to do that. Got too much work. But you know what? I'm going to make a note tomorrow to go take a look at what he said. That's exactly what I did. I took a look to see where Mark Levin was going with this whole red wave notion. Uh, his point that there was never going to be a red wave is what he's saying, and uh, you know, there, there's some sense or truth to that. I mean, I get what he's saying. What he puts out there, the the uh, the hypothesis that he's uh putting out there in the public square, does make some sense. So follow me on this now. He's saying the Senate in twenty twenty two, the midterm election just went by. so thirty five seats were up, okay? all right, twenty Republican fourteen Democrats. So the Republicans had to defend twenty seats. Uh, the Democrats had to just defend 14 of those. Uh, and as he said, it was a tall hill to climb. And looking at those numbers, I would agree with that. Now, I had the pundits on experts on commentators, as you know, you've been following this, who really thought that, you know, potentially the victory would be, eh, you know, at least 53, 54, could be 55, 56. Of course, Levin is saying that that math was never there. It was never going to happen. Well, we'll we'll analyze that point in a moment here. But his other point is that the Senate in 2024, there are 33 seats up, not too unlike the 34 in this year. So the 33 Senate seats, right? So you figure out they're divided about a third every two years. Makes sense with the six-year cycle, right? So 33 seats up, but, but this next go around in 2024, the Democrats have to defend 23 of those actually even more than the Republicans had to defend this time. You follow me? They had to defend 20 Democrats are going to have to defend 23 in 2024. And the Republicans are going to have to defend just 10. Now those are far better odds. He argues because you, you can flip some of those seats, Potentially, no guarantees, of course, but that potential is there in 2024 for what he says would be a red wave. Okay. Now. Looking further at that, he he went on to suggest, you know, the money in the Republican Party, Uh, Mitch McConnell had the purse strings for the Senate uh, leadership fund. Uh, and I heard reports I mean, he had some pretty serious dollars in there that he was just shipping. It was a, upwards of $90, $100 million, uh, give or take. And uh, so he did not put any money in Blake Masters in Arizona, who, who just lost that, but not too much. Uh, I've seen a clip where Blake Masters went off on this, went off on McConnell uh, very directly and said he is the reason and the account for Arizona's loss. Now, he also went on to mention uh, in New Hampshire, Don Baldock, who I have had Don on the show here uh, several times. And then in the last week of the election for New Hampshire in the media market there, he pulled six million dollars back. OK, six million bucks back and uh and they put so they they put so we lost both new hampshire and arizona as you know resoundingly in new hampshire uh but arizona was much much closer now baltac was a big favorite people thought he was going to do really well but it didn't work out that way uh now in colorado uh, as Levin goes on to say, the, the rhino there, which he put a ton of money into, got crushed. He he was suggesting in Colorado that McConnell did, uh, but you know, there's the bigger point. I think what Levin was drawn at is that McConnell is very comfortable and accustomed to working with rhinos, pretty much because what I'm going to say he didn't say, but he is one, and I think that's that's a fair assessment. Instead, uh, he put a lot of money in Alaska, defendant Lisa Murkowski. Uh, put a ton of money there, spent nine million dollars and people were wondering why uh, when this Shabaka, this Kelly Shabaka was endorsed by the Alaskan GOP. Uh, she had uh, they thought a pretty good shot, but all the money was put on Murkowski, but that's clearly defines Rhino as well. But as he said, it's a sure vote for McConnell. Uh, And so you see what's happened there. McConnell's out doing what he does uh, pretty well in his world, which is support Rhino candidates. Not really looking for America first, MAGA type candidates, to be sure. He never really bought into the shift in the Republican Party. And clearly he never bought into Trump. None of them did, really. I mean, they tolerated Trump. And when Trump had some good successes... It was, you know, they tried to run on those those coattails a bit, but they really despised Trump and did then and do now and will continue to do so. He just is not their brand of uh, of cornflakes, you know. Never was going to be. So this whole thing about supporting rhinos, interesting with McConnell and McConnell. You know, I have have not been a fan of this uh, uh, the the leadership and. in the Senate here for a long, long, long time Uh, for a whole lot of reasons. I I don't think McConnell is a wave of the future, to be sure. We all know he's not. He's a dinosaur and he really does need to come out of there. But again, Republican Party, Republicans are going to have to figure that out, hopefully sooner than later, to be sure. So Levin goes on to say, and yet the Republican establishment says there are bad candidates. And as he points out, he says, the GOP leadership is saying that it's your fault. So that, in other words, they point in fingers. I've seen a lot of blame uh, against Donald Trump. But he's saying they're blaming the public that it's their fault that they put in, you know, pretty much shitty candidates uh, is the point that Levin makes. But he's saying it's not really candidates. Uh, Bad candidates, he's saying, but this is what the Republican establishment is pointing out, okay? And, of course, the obvious is that Florida was an exception to all these things. Uh, It was the tip of the the spear. I mean, they did amazing things. But, again, very conservative uh, governor, uh, very conservative politics in Florida. And it's become pretty well a very planted red state. And that was slipping at one point. It was definitely getting purple and more even blue, Uh, DeSantis barely won the first go around uh, the election again of the governorship Uh, it was run against Gillum remember and Gillum was uh, ended up being a real crackhead himself which of course many of us knew that when he was running another Marxist which you know the Democrat party is very good at putting up there Um, but he barely won that race I mean I suggest to you that if DeSantis had not taken Florida back then when he did win it I think Florida would have absolutely tilted way over to deeper blue. It doesn't take a lot to do that, to tilt the state that way in politics when you get a governor in like that. Hard to say. Uh, But DeSantis ran the game a certain way. And uh, a lot of Americans in those northern states uh, moved uh, during the COVID episode. There was was a lot of media attention put on Florida and the way that things were run in Florida because DeSantis bucked the entire system. I mean, he 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 bucked everything and everybody, and which I like that about uh, a leader. Frankly, who goes against the grain and rocks the canoe. But then again, you know that about me. Uh, but that's what I appreciate about people who just don't follow too many followers out there, uh, to be sure. Uh, so it gets a little more interesting here. Well, uh, let's keep put all that in your mind now, okay? And, uh, you know, this whole notion of McConnell and the rhino thing tells a story in the deep state establishment and what's developed in there. I mean, there, there's a lot to follow and there. there's a lot to unpack in there. Uh, there's a struggle within the Republican Party. And that, that struggle has been there for some time. Uh, conservatism, you know, conservatism versus milk toast politics uh, and uh, within the Republican Party. And you've got the establishment, the old GOP, which there's a lot of those cats—the uh, the the Mitt Romneys, the John McCain's, and naturally the the Mitch McConnell's. There's a whole host of them there. And it's littered with them up in Washington, uh, frankly. And uh, and and it wasn't and that that's it wasn't going to be the new world order for the Republican Party and of course Trump shook all that up and bought in you know he just was a rebel raiser I mean make America great again NAGA, he was going against the system he was going against the deep state the establishment in in some interesting ways and uh, I think that's where he well as we call it really was about conservative populism uh, for Trump that's what he brought to this thing and kind of made it fashionable again uh, to wear the red hat and to talk about America first and make America great again. And it became a real thing, conservative populism Um, in, you know, it was shining a spotlight back on a lot of the values as patriots and people who respected the constitution, respected the rule of law and uh, respected what our framers had built here. Uh, You know, and That is in the face against uh, the deep state apparatus and more than that, friends, the globalist, Uh, the globalist and the movement in our country to globalize everything and to make America just one of the pack. And of course, that all started and, you know, this already uh, went on full speed under the Barack Obama administration, without a doubt. That's where that all started Uh, and picked up a lot of steam over the years in fact barack obama planted a lot of uh, bad seeds in government and in bureaucracies these uh, agencies that caused a lot of trouble for a guy like donald trump uh who was again into changing uh the complete paradigm he he was he was just looking for something he was you know fighting against a lot of these uh policies and a lot of these um uh uh, the, the 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 headlines that he had been watching for all those years. I mean, with everything—the economy, foreign policy, dealing with some of these uh, characters around the world—Trump uh, watched that. He watched China very efficiently, pointed out China a lot, talked about our horrible trade policies. You know, he was doing all that from the corporate boardrooms. Trump did for a lot of years, and he spoke out about it. I mean, and of course, the media loved him back then. Even even Oprah loved him. <laughs> Uh, And they all did. And they'd have him on all the time and talk about it. And but when Trump finally decided he was going to do his darndest to what he thought to save the country, I thought it needed saving. That's when he jumped in the race. And then he lost all of that momentum, clearly, friends. Right. I mean, nobody stuck really by him when it comes to the establishment or the media uh, elites, you know, who courted him all the time. Because he, he was a good soundbite. He was a good headline. Uh, he was good for ratings. Very unique fellow. Always in hot water. Uh, even financially many times for his life in a lot of hot water. Play, but that's what entrepreneurs often do. They play it on the edge. Just like look at what Elon Musk has just done with Twitter. I mean, totally playing it on the on the edge. Probably sorry he ever made the move right now. But the jury's still out there that could uh, take on another uh, light. It could take on a whole nother face, actually, this uh, uh, Musk Twitter deal. But right now, there's a lot of pain that they're going through. And uh, so people like this and the entrepreneurial world, they see this and sometimes they'll take the leap. Oftentimes they do. A guy like a Elon Musk, a, a guy like a, a Donald Trump and a lot of these cats that are you know, big thinkers and uh, very um, uh, successful entrepreneurs, uh, business elites. Uh, the, you don't get there by accident, friends. I mean, you get there by uh, trial and error. You have to fall down on your face a few times and, uh, uh, you know, uh, scab yourself up, I guess, basically. That's what, that's what it's like in the entrepreneurial world. You win some and lose some. You just keep playing and hitting against the wall. And sometimes it works. It's, uh, you know american uh, ingenuity ent- entrepreneurship capitalism it's fascinating it's fascinating most of the smart people are in the business community i guarantee you they're not running for politics to be sure they don't want that spotlight and there's not enough money to be made in there unless you scam the system which is what they all do naturally it's not like they're paying them well uh, they get paid average but it's, it's all of the gravy and all of the deal making that goes on as to why they all get wealthy. It's why they don't want to leave there. It's why they don't want to play with the framers and vision, because it's very lucrative with all the, the deals, the, the side deals, the, the backroom deals, the, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. You know, I put my hand on your wallet, you put your hand, nope, don't put it in mine. <laughs> and that is the way it works, uh, in, uh, in in, in in politics, you know, in business, the combination of that. So so right now, uh, there's um, people are concerned, deeply concerned. Uh, Republicans had set up this election that it was going to be uh, life shattering, the most important election of our lifetime. <laughs> right? we have you heard that before, huh? Uh, that this was it, and everything rested on this election. Okay. And that that red wave was going to save everybody. Now, you know, psychologically within this red wave conversation, which I, I always think it's a hazard to talk in that light. And until we can reach across the aisle and get more moderates, independents, and even those left of center engaged in the process to understand what the stakes are, there's no need to be talking about red and blue waves. I mean, what we really need and maybe someday it'll happen. I mean I, I keep saying what we need an American wave that's when and that's what I, I think in my world where I have a little bit of hope. I never made the predictions myself about the Senate and or the house. You've never heard me say that on air myself now I have guessed on who made those commitments and I never given taken anything away from them it's not what I'm doing. But you've heard plenty of them on the broadcast here. Make those commitments, a lot of pundits and political commentators. uh, That's what they do. They make decisive decisions and take a guess. We think this is what's going to happen. We think it's going to be a red tsunami. We think it's going to be a a blue puddle. I mean, whatever. Uh, So that's not unusual at all. I never really uh, was subscribing to any of that. And again, I'm not telling you I was forecasting this and I'm not talking about hindsight here. But I think there's some bigger lessons here and playing into this conversation that Levin had had. That's where I'd like to go and talk to you about a little bit more in detail here. Uh, And, you know, when you when you understand that our country was truly, truly hurting and you understand, you know, where does politics end and where does real life begin, right? Where, where does that happen? Where does the rubber meet the road for people? When do they stop voting their ideology? When do they start voting the pain factor and a more quality, fulfilling life, right? Now, I see a lot of messages and comments about gaslighting in the Democrat Party. Now, let's be clear. The Democrat Party is brilliant when it comes to packaging. They uh, unity and packaging. They almost exclusively win on unity and packaging. The marketing, the marketing, the polishing, the marketing 101. And that's where they really do well. And they stay together. They stick together. Both of these areas are, are two uh, major points of contention that the Republicans are terrible at. They just don't do well. They've never been good packagers. They don't market well at all. And they absolutely don't stick together. You know, And even with the left, even with the Marxist left and the fight within the Democrat Party, they still managed to tamp that down, and you know temper those folks on the far left. You notice you hadn't heard a lot from the squads, and you hadn't heard a lot from the radicals, and the you just didn't hear a lot about that. They were they were tempered down and really told to stay in line and chill, and they went along pretty much. But you didn't hear a lot about that. There was still unity even within the destructiveness of the uh, Democrat Party, to the point that you know the risk was real if Americans caught on to their game. You understand if Americans caught on to the game of what the Democrats were gaslighting about, then you potentially would have this kind of a wave, no matter what DeMarc Levin said that it wasn't set up or what have you, because at some point, whether you're defending 20, 30 or 40 seats, friends at some point, these policies are going to be real life issues and you know, I don't you know, some at some point, I think the numbers go out the window and the trends change all dramatically because we're talking real life policy here. Some of the headlines I had seen, like, for instance, in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, with no answers for inflation, crime or the border. And those were major issues right there. Inflation, crime of the border. Democrats turned to gaslighting voters. <laughs> all right. And there was a lot of that going on, but they do the bait and switch and they wanted to talk about abortion. And but you know, that's just good politics. It's bad policy, but good politics. You understand what I mean? It's you know, it's it's good policy, uh it's bad policy, but it's good politics for them that they can do that bait and switch and lie to the American voters. What else are they going to do? I mean, they're not going to go down with just a loss a resounding loss without giving it, you know, a good old college try. So they go ahead and tell everybody, well, the Supreme court did that. And now you're not going to be able to have any abortions. Of course, none of that was true. It was just back to States, rights, Not federalizing things, just like they're trying to federalize the election. They're trying to pack Supreme courts. So it's all kinds of funny business, but that's just big government getting bigger and global and Marxist. And you see, that's where that's all headed. Now, a lot of Americans are asleep at the wheel right now. They're not paying attention. They're just not paying attention to this stuff. That's what's happening. You know, the Washington Times said. Uh, Democrats gaslighting of America, you know, read or watch the corrupt media at your own risk. Um, Is is, uh, how they put it out there, you know, Uh, the the Charlie Kirk show, how Democrats are gaslighting Americans to push their radicalism. But they're just, you know, they're using gaslighting as another form of just brilliant politicking. They're great politics and packaging, marketing, where the right does not do well, but the left, they are amazing, just like you said, the same headlines would be running the unity point of that you know Democrats stick together come hell or high water. They're going to go down in a blaze of glory. If one's going to hell, they're all going to hell. You know that's what's happening there. The right, the Republicans, it doesn't happen. The Republican parties they don't do well in that in in this realm. They just don't have it. That's not their thing, and they're not good at focusing. And, and frankly. You know, they were just dependent on the fact that things were so bad. They were so shitty in America that everybody would vote this other way, no matter how many seats they were defending Mark Levin, that they just it was so bad that ideology wouldn't play a part of this. That's what I think maybe they were hoping for or they were just being lazy and thinking that, yeah, you know. That they're just going to win. There's naturally going to be a red red wave. You're in the midterm. The party in power usually loses. We've seen that historically. We've seen those races that they've lost, you know, 40 seats, 60 seats, 70 seats. And people were actually predicting that here. You know, it never happened, friends. Never happened. A lot of reasons. Now... There was an interesting comment. Mark Levin then had uh, been uh, this. We uh, used to be with the Federalists. They had Ben Dominic there um, who's an interesting uh, communicator, actually. I, when I hear him talk uh, Ben Dominic, I I uh, I, I think he's, he's a little more interesting than what I initially gave him credit for, frankly. And again, I don't follow a lot of these cats. I don't watch their shows. I don't watch any media stuff i don't none of that stuff is in my brain i'm not i don't not indoctrinated by any of these people i don't watch any particular pundit commentator show i don't watch or listen to any of them or none only when i would happen to be channel surfing might i see one of these cats on a moment's notice but i don't none of them are tied to my um you know uh my uh, recorder or whatever yeah i just don't do it don't need it but uh, so Ben come out and said something interesting on uh, the Mark Levin show there, Life, Liberty and Levin, which, again, I do not watch. Just happened to see a couple of uh, points of view. And I thought it was a fascinating conversation he was having. And Ben says two more years of Biden disasters, energy, schools, border, economy, inflation, cultural disasters and all the rest. It's not going to get better in this country. It's going to get worse. On the dark side, there simply isn't enough American-loving patriots to win elections. On the dark side, there simply isn't enough American-loving patriots to win elections. And he talked about the early vote strategy, which we'll talk about in a moment here, about the early vote strategy. But this is what I find interesting. And the and and yes, the, the, to the point of early voting. The Republicans have no early voting strategy. They didn't did not embrace all the COVID stuff. But it's more than COVID. It's because the Democrats have seen that as a strategy to win. And they're never going to let go of it again. But they knew it before COVID there was a strategy to win. Vote, 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 vote. Vote as often as you can vote. Don't why do you think they don't want IDs? Vote. Vote from the graveyard. Just vote. And vote if you're illegal, just vote. If it's one vote. Everybody should vote. Don't stop any, I mean, that's their whole message, uh, because they're they're such marvelous liberators. And uh, but that's that's their whole campaign. It's how they run their policies, even with open borders and immigration. Just get all the people in that possibly you can have, and give the farm away, and get them all to vote and uh you know there'll be left enough nothing left for patriots at that point i assure you the country it will become a really a third world shithole is where it will be and it's surely headed there now on a path to that self-destruction between all of these policies they're destroying the nation of which we love my fellow americans to be sure now This dark side is interesting. It really got me thinking, which was the point I really wanted to talk to you about today, frankly. This dark side that he talked about. There simply isn't enough American-loving patriots to win elections. That really got me thinking. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Could there be a lot of truth to that? As I started thinking about all these policies and why there would be a potential for an American wave this time around. You heard me talk about that right all the way through here, right? but yet Levin says there was never going to be a red wave because the numbers didn't stack up that way. So it doesn't really, he's saying that, and Levin may very well be accurate in that point, that, you know, pain and policy are not really going to matter. Ideology is going to trump all of that. Now, he didn't say that, but that's what's inferred here to me, is that policy is what's going to uh, go out the window. Ideology is what people are going to vote on. And we see that a lot, actually. That's why he's saying the numbers are what they are. There's only so far you can bend the numbers. When you defend that many seats, you're not going to win that lion's share and that the Senate was never in play. Now, you might have got one or two more seats, potentially, if McConnell had removed his head out of his backside and put the money where it mattered, you know, uh, you you possibly would have had that. But he's saying the math was never going to be there. So he suggests an ideology is what trumps everything. That's what people vote on. And, and I talk about that all the time with you. Your great-grandmother was a Democrat. Your great-great-great-father was a Republican. And that's the way people vote accordingly. They don't vote on really any issues or policies or things. It's just, it's in the family genes. (laughs) That's the way people think. And of course, these political parties are no longer what they used to be when our great-grandfather was here. They've completely morphed. But the voter class hasn't morphed, is part of the problem. And it's still stocked back then in that era. And that's really some of the challenge we have here comes back to the package and the marketing. And you know. Policies that are failing uh, our nation. So then we have to ask ourselves how bad does it have to get? How bad does it really have to get before people come off their ideology? I mean, you know, when our country is already there and it really does begin to, in real world time, appear to look like and be and feel and crime and everything else as a third world, you know, shithole, as we say, if that's what's there. Do people come off their ideology then? Do they do it when family members are murdered out on the streets? Or do they do it when they simply can't pay any bills because the economy has been decimated? Do they do it because we become a globalist unit and there's nothing really left for pride or patriotism in America as we approach 250 years? Is that when they do it? Or do they never do it? You see, that really is the crux of the problem that I see my fellow Americans right there. Until we answer that problem and really can truly understand the American consumer and the American patriots. And some people don't give a rat's ass about being patriots. Uh, hard to fathom for some of us that people were thinking that way, but they do. They don't really rah-rah the country. It's more or less they want out of it what they can get out of it, which is why they're happy that government spends a lot of money. And as long as that money's coming to them and free college tuition and free food stamp programs and that sort of thing, and they're just fine and dandy. The fact that the country is going belly up is not a concern to them as long as they get these other things. It's called survival, just survival. It's not that they can't work or maybe don't want to work or can't work. It's just easier this way. And after all, that's what they promised us, so we're entitled. And government has a lot of money anyways, Let's so just go get it after the rich people. <laughs> that uh, oh, That's part and parcel of what's happening, people. It's absolutely what's happening. The stark side of America has really got me thinking about what it's going to take to win these elections, and unless we're just so tied to the ideology that it really doesn't matter what we do. And if so... You know, what have we really defended? and does it really matter then with the policies? But here's the bigger chore here are the bigger challenge we really do need to talk about as well is that what was the campaign strategy? What was the overarching message? Listen, I'm a marketer I, i'm i'm am I'm a marketer. I'm advertising marketing public relations uh, you know. Guru, if you will, it's what I did all my life. Spent twenty-five years in corporate boardrooms before I ever entered the. Uh, I directed and produced radio and television before I was ever in front of the mic or the camera, you know. And uh, so, you know, we, we have we have to think in a, in, a, in a different context here uh, of of what we're really trying to understand with this uh, because there's there's a um, there's a real divide. Uh, in our nation that's never coming back. We're not coming back from this divide, people. It's 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 here to stay, this division in our country. And it's because it's so rooted in the Marxist left and the globalists. It's very much rooted into the fabric of what's of these people and what they want. And they go about it in a very clever way by giving away the treasury to get those votes, open the borders and get those votes and, you know, just vote from the graveyard, as I say, and get those votes. And COVID was a gift to the Marxist left based on all of this, because it was a perfect storm for them to push those policies onto the American people and, uh, and you know, do all the funny business, all for the fact that it's good for you, it's best for you. We want it to be easier for you, so you don't have to get out and vote, actually. Um, we'll just do all the ballot harvesting and uh, the mail-in ballots and, and vote a month ahead, two months ahead. Some of them open up two months before then. So it means election day is gone and it's now, you know, elections, uh, what, a quarter or election, you know, I, whatever it is. You know, it's certainly more than a day now, isn't it? You know, politics are changing in our country, not for the best people. And both of these political parties are corrupt and they're taking America down with them into a cesspool of filth and disgust. So the question I kept yes. asking is, how bad does it have to get before the country turns the corner? I mean, where, where is where's that pain factor, or are people just going to vote their ideology no matter what and no matter how corrupt and how um, you know how bad the country gets? difficult times become or how severe the recession might be it, if that's the plan and they're just going to keep voting their great-grandmother's political party then we potentially are in a heap of trouble friends uh, to be sure uh, talk more about this dark side on the American patriots uh, Will how, how do we get more to be able to win and this early voting strategy as well uh, what's, what's in it uh, you know, uh, how, how can the Republican Party capitalize on that? Um, the one thing we can capitalize on, I, I wanna tell you this past week, i plugged in my UX4 uh, atomizer uh, from uh, Genesis, H-O-C-L. And I absolutely love it. It's a very a nice little looking white piece. It blends in with really any seven that I can see. Uh, my wife and I got it out so easy. Put the HOCL, you dilute it, you put it right into the little tank there, turn it on, and it puts that dry mist and it works. I mean, amazing. I mean, the dry mist is all into the air. Well, now that's killing pathogens, flu, virus, superbugs, mold, uh, SARS-CoV-2, pathogens of all kinds. That's what that dry mist does. So if you've got people in and out, things are going on. Flu season is bad. This is what you want to have, the UX4 Atomizer, UX4 Atomizer, that's it. Uh, it's, it people pronounce it Atomizer. I always pronounce my T's uh, so people get caught up with my language, of course, Atom- Atomizer, but it's that people say it's really the Atomizer, you really don't have a T on there, Atomizer. Whatever it is, get the UX4 uh genesis hocl put the hocl on there let it clean the room up it's amazing it's amazing it does a terrific job just think remember the genesis uh, fogger we talked about over the last couple of years with covid um that's a terrific product that you can move around from room to room and does the same sort of thing with the dry mist in the room but the fogger you people wanted something stationary the ux4 rather you just plug it in and it does its thing. So it's it's definitely the way to go. It's at a great price point as well. And better than that, guess what? All out loud listeners get 15% off that product. Just use the code out loud. All you got to do. Or just click the banner ad. If you go back through com, click the banner ad. It puts you right in there to get that discount as well. Uh, or go to genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud. Take a look at the Atomizer and check it out. There's all kinds of information there for you to check it out. I believe in this product. Every household needs to have it. If you don't have the UX4 Atomizer, pick it up, my fellow Americans, and you'll be safer for it, protecting your loved ones, especially through these nasty winters and flu seasons that people we be struggling with. We'll take a quick pause. We'll join you on the other side. You're listening to The Voice of a Nation.
1: and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything.
0: People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best. Freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America Out Loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
2: All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpitone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Copix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple by attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Copix Rx banner ad on AmericaOutLoud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Our global experts
0: are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. And then what's interesting with that uh, conversation I was telling you about with Levin, when he had Ben Dominic on there, uh, he said, and I quote, we have a Democrat party where all the lessons they're going to take away from this is that we can be as radical as we want and we will not have to bear a price for it. Interesting quote, that's why I wrote it down. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. Um, You know, listen, uh, and that may be the case. I mean, they've pushed a very radical agenda onto the people. Now, let's be clear. That's why a lot of people thought there's no way the Republican Party uh, can lose in the midterm election. There's no way they're not. going. And that's get, let's be fair and call it what it is. That's why a lot of pundits and polls and others thought, you know, and even the polls is why are the Republican Party is going to do well. They're going to take the House resoundingly and probably take the Senate as well. Now they weren't saying that to be in love with it all, but I think they really felt that things were so bad, policies were so bad, that people were suffering and struggling so bad that surely they're not gonna vote their ideology. Now Levin says, well, the math was never there, was never gonna happen. Well, I guess if you're voting strictly ideology, he's right. If you're gonna just vote that and pain doesn't matter, he'd be right. But if you're worried, if people are voting pain, and the wallet then he's wrong and then then why didn't they do better than malcolm if he's wrong well that comes back to the packaging and the marketing they never had a campaign the what what can anybody think about what the republican party ran on for the 2022 midterms what we're we're just what what was it i mean i i don't nothing is reflective in my mind that says oh yeah that's it i can just point at that um the democrat machine revved up the abortion issue, which uh, we weren't hearing a lot about. We didn't think it was going to play out to middle America. And the fact is, the, so, you know, the abortion, we they lied about all of it and continue to lie about it with the Supreme Court. It's states' rights. It's not, it's not in the Constitution. It was never supposed to be. Roe v. Wade is a joke. It never should have been. I mean, putting aside abortion, the argument of abortion itself and the murder of another human being, just put that aside a moment if you can. It's difficult to do, I get it. But you understand it's not in the framework of our country. It's a state's rights issue because that's the 10th Amendment. Anything that doesn't fit into that neat little box, guess what? Yeah, it fits into state's rights. It's up to local, localized, we the people, we decide. And that's the beauty of it, friends, but it doesn't work so well when you're building a global government. And you want a big government apparatus? That that strategy does not fit well, and that's why the Marxists left or have used it. But again, they're amazing marketers and packaging. That's what they've done here, friends. You know. Now, this um, this uh, comment, and I'm going to paraphrase this from uh, Levin, um, strictly paraphrase, but it was a point he made. Was it that the pollsters and pundits were wrong? Or is it that the culture rot is so deep and so broad that people vote against their own best interest? Wow, they vote against their own best interest. (laughs) We are at that point in our country. They are voting against their own best interest. That's why so many of us, we want to bang our head against the walls. We just don't understand it. Why would anybody vote against their own best interest? And that's why people were talking, in all fairness, even the people I had on, the pundits and the commentators, were talking red waves. They may not have even used the word red, but they felt uh, they were going to get the House and the Senate. And resoundingly, resoundingly, just that's it. Victories. It's going to happen. And a lot of these governorships as well, because nobody would really vote the other way if that's the case. Now, he it, it, here's a very interesting point. Now, this will get your dander up a little bit. This was, um, I've see, I seen a comment from Joe Concha again. And uh, he's, the, he's on Vox a lot. He's a commentator. Again, I, I don't watch these cats again, so I'm not speaking to him like I know him. Well, because I don't. But i seen a, a comment from Concha that said this, and I wrote it down. Listen to this. And I quote, Philadelphia had its highest murder rate in its history in 2021, except that record was just broken in 2022, and we're barely into November. So you think that people would say, boy, we really need a change here and not elect a man. Forget the health issues who says he wants to release one third of the prison population. Wow, it's incredible, isn't it? Or they look at their wages, their 401k. They look at every time they get a bill on their credit card, every time they go to the grocery store, they pay their electric or heating bill. Boy, this is infinitely higher than we've ever experienced in the household. We're choosing between Eaton and Heaton in some cases. And we're going to vote anyways just to own conservatives. That's how we're going to vote, just to own conservatives. Because I want to elect someone like a John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Wow. Think about that. He says, because I want to elect someone like a John Vetterman in Pennsylvania, it's more about rooting against the other side than pushing or pulling for a better country in general. Pretty striking comment and point of view from Joe Concha there, to be sure. You're looking at crime in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania overall and the rise of that and so many urban markets all over the country. And you have to believe that self-interest and protection and security and safety for family would get somebody to vote for somebody safe. I mean, it's the same way in New York, why people thought Zeldin was going to be the victor there, because he had such momentum at the end there that Hochul didn't have a shot. Uh, Her policies, her her, um, track record on these policies is just disgusting. It's awful. And they lie again and cheat and now she's been elected and first time a woman's going to have that role to be elected as governor. I mean, she got it by default. Uh, you know, when, when uh, they, uh, Cuomo was thrown out on his backside, you know, right? Pretty much uh, had to resign in disgrace. Um, so, you know, you think about these kinds of policies and the fact that John Fetterman made those comments. Well, th- this is radical. I mean, they're saying Fetterman is left of Sanders, I mean, and he is very much that Marxist, just like uh, Warnock in Georgia, as I said on Viewpoint this Sunday, he does not meet Georgian values by any stretch. How does a guy like this even come competitive in a race is beyond my thinking. I mean, so then what are they doing? Are they cooking the books? I ask you is what I wonder or what the hell's going on? Why are people in with such chaotic viewpoints that are so far from the realm of possibilities it's something to really think about but it does come back to a lot of this packaging that they're doing but Fetterman who you know and he's made a lot of those comments wants to release the prisoners out on the street I mean that's it just doesn't that should not sit well in the heartland it should not sit well in the urban markets it should not sit well anywhere anywhere when you got crime and the criminal components all over the the streets and you can't have any safety or security for your family i mean who wants to live under those conditions and why would anybody vote a politician in like this when this man says these things and then you know again you know kenny kenny can't do the job or what's his health i mean that's a separate argument I and mean, it's a strong argument it's one to have but just based on his policies why would he be a good fit for any city in our country why americans electing people like this to represent us in governorships and in Senate positions and in, in, as congressmen why? I mean, how does that fit? It doesn't, but it does. They're doing it. So then it comes back to the dumb and down of America and the dark side, which was pointed out earlier, that was said about how dark things are on the dark side. There simply isn't enough American love and patriots to win elections that is probably a real quandary that should scare the hell out of all of us, huh? Right there. And then you know the Republicans have no early voting strategy, but the Democrats have certainly capitalized on it. Continue to do so, and the Republicans will always want to talk about voting irregularities and the fraud. And I personally, friends, I'm tired of talking about the fraud. I really am. I really just want to get this fixed. I want to, you know, you all want to bang your head against the wall when everybody brings up fraud. And some of these people you have on the programs and it's fraud all day long. So they want to talk about it. And I just find uh, why don't we fix the problem instead of keep talking about it or use their own medicine against them? You know, I mean, sometimes you got to fight bad medicine with bad medicine. And to Ben Dominic's point, why don't we have an early voting strategy on the right? The left certainly has it. They have people out two months in advance and everybody says, well, they go to Republicans go the day of and vote. But how's that winning for us? It's not. It's not. And millions, millions and millions and millions and millions of people voted up in Pennsylvania before they even had that crappy debate where Fetterman looked like he was in a comatose state and was surely not ready for prime time. And that's the way that is. And then when the right says anything, the left says, well, you're racist or you're being discriminatory and the guy is sick and where's your heart? Where's your bleeding heart? The guy's going to represent us in the United States Senate. What the hell? Forget the bleeding heart. Throw it out the window. Let's get somebody competent. It factors in people, but some people just look at it a little different. But more than that, it's the way you package things. And that's part and parcel of the problem we're having. So there is, I'm here to report to you today, there is a dark side to a lot of this, very much so. But the Republican establishment, until they come together and have some sort of unity within the Republican group, and I'm talking, you know, the establishment is there. They're well-rooted in there. The, The old grand old party, the GOP, the old white man syndrome, you know. Uh, you know, some of them just stay there way too long and it's overdone. And we really do need the new blood in there, the new guys, the the, the new women, the new Americans, the new patriots. It's what we need in, in office here. But, you know, you still have a lot of those establishment players that that run and they, they stay there forever. And, you know, the country's hurting. There is a very dark side and the, and the Republicans don't market well. So what's it going to take to get an American wave? What's it going to take to do that? And does the math have to be all right, as uh, Mark Levin points out, that in 2024, uh, they'll be defending a whole lot of senators. If they can't win the Senate in 2024, they will never win the Senate, potentially, according to what Mark Levin has put out here, based on these numbers. And they are interesting numbers. They're even going to have to defend more seats than uh, this year. And uh, that's in 2024. Okay, and so that's going to be some interest in that. Now, of course, it's a presidential year as well. A lot's going to happen. But, you know, this is about lessons learned as well. What's what's the lessons learned out of this? What do the what does the Republican Party really take out of this? They're talking about the rebuilding or reestablishment of the Republican Party. Or I seen. uh, Oh, who was it? Uh, uh, Josh Hawley come out and said, you seen that comment? He said the Republican Party is dead. That's what I heard in some message like that he put out there. I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like that. So the Republican Party is dead. I believe it's exactly what he said. It comes to my mind that way. Uh, Josh Hawley. And uh, well, you know, and I've been predicting times before that the Democrat Party had, was definitely dead. It was in a comatose state and was not going to. I mean, they were going to fizzle out based on their policies and their Marxist tendencies and what they're doing. I You'd have to stand to reason that, you know. I mean, that's not a far stretch to think that they're going to they're going to fade and fizzle, fade and fizzle and something will fill the vacuum up. And I really believe that was going to happen. And a lot of the disruption of the fight in the party also led me to believe that. But, you know, it's hard to say now with the fact that they're so much better at their marketing and packaging and and polish and they're so much better at their unity and sticking together. They're like a group of criminals and bank bank robbers and bandits. And they're gonna they're heisting the treasury. It is a robbery, really. They're, it's a heist against the American treasury, and they all are happy to do that on the left and bankrupt the country and go down in a blaze of glory, to hell and in a handbag, is what that's all about. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. Country's in a lot of trouble. Nobody even talks about the deficit right now and the spending that's gone on, but it's, 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 well, this is, you know, they're going to be looking for a bridge over troubled waters, is what they're going to be looking for. Bridge over trouble. That's going to be the new theme. Let's build a bridge because it is troubled waters, to be sure. And uh, troubled waters indeed here in America, in our country, friends this election or the breakdown of it and the bridge we're going to have to build to get to 250 years is part of the quandary we'll be talking about in the days ahead this bridge that we need to build as americans and where do we go from there and, does, and when is the math right i mean do the the ideology play out to this thing do you always need that math or do americans ever really begin to take matters into their own hands and stand up and say no we are not going to let you globalize one size fits all our country. We're going to take it back, thank you very much. And we can do that. Now, how do we do that is the question. I hope that gives you some food for thought, my fellow Americans, I'll leave it there. And thank you for joining me on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud, America.